Welcome everyone to Strictly Jojo, a podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. My name is Courtney. Oh my god, it scared me. This is episode 90 and we're reviewing part 3, Stardust Crusaders, The Sun. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode and anything that's happened in the Jojo anime. It's because I'm parched. Get it? Yes. <laughs> At first I thought you were dying, but you know, it's fine. Um, yeah, it's the sun. We talked a little bit about it in the last episode. Um, I I don't know. This one this one's interesting. This one's just it's just nonsense in the best way possible. What was that nursery song when we were younger? Like, oh, Mr. Sun, Sun, Mr. Golden Sun. You remember oh, that? Oh, I vaguely remember it, yeah. Uh, that just popped in my head, of course, because thinking about this episode. Uh, but yeah, this is one of my favorites from part three. So very excited to dive into it as much as we can today. And before we do that, we have a very special patron we'd like to shout out. We would like to welcome Coffee Cats Pugs to our Patreon family. Woohoo! Round of applause. <laughs> what an interesting name, but yes, very exciting. So thank you, Coffee Cats Pugs, for your support. It has certainly brightened our day. Absolutely. We very much appreciate it. Um, we, we appreciate everyone's support on the Patreon because we know you guys don't have to do that. But the fact that you guys are willing to, it means the world to us. And if any of you guys would like to support the show as well and get access to things like our bonus episodes, our pre-show, our show schedules, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. A couple of things that I wanted to bring up before we get into our discussion, one of which is JoJo News. But before that, uh, just a disclaimer, if you hear any random popping noises in the background, that is because our neighbors are preparing for the 4th of July holiday. Yes. Their fireworks displays. We all know that when it's close to the 4th of July, everyone loves to uh, test out their fireworks, you know, get their fireworks in ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So that is very much what's happening right now. But as of this recording, we are nearing 4th of July. So happy 4th of July to everyone in the U.S. The other thing I wanted to bring up are some goofs that we made in the previous episode, The Lovers Part 2. Courtney had mentioned that Jay Guile had killed Polnareff's daughter. Did I say daughter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, of Oops, course, that's not we the case. meant, or she meant, Polnareff's sister. So, <laughs> that was her bad. But then I also had a goof in mentioning the enemy stand that gets pummeled by Giorno's gold experience in part five during the seven-page Muda. I had referred to that enemy as Chocolato, but his name, of course, is Chocolata. Uh, so I had forgotten my masculine and feminine words in Italian from my high school Italian class when we were studying that unit, but that was my fault. Of course, it's Chocolata. The things you pick up when you go back and, and listen to the episodes when you're doing your editing. <laughs> I, I just, I'm just doing this to, <laughs> to kind of save face um, so that we don't get any angry emails from listeners saying, you, you said this wrong or you got this completely wrong. I think my goof is probably worse than yours, though. <laughs> Definitely did not mean daughter. <laughs> and the last thing to bring up before our discussion is just one piece of JoJo news because I believe as of this episode's release the jojo's bizarre adventure stone ocean official soundtrack 
is going to be available for listening on major music streaming platforms or is now available for listening on major music streaming platforms because I just listened to it earlier today. Uh, there are 60 tracks total on the soundtrack, which include some of the highly anticipated character themes like Jolene's Theme of Stone Ocean, Poochie's Priest, Anasui's Dive, and Weather Report's Weather. Very simple titles for these character themes. Some other favorite tracks of mine off the soundtrack are Fate, Clockworks, and the perfectly titled Hurry Up for when you really need something done. It's just a very high-intensity, fast-paced song that's used many times throughout the show to create tension in any scene. I wonder how quickly the soundtrack will get you know, a, a million-plus listens. It probably already has. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad that it's finally on there. And I've been waiting months for this because typically, I think with JoJo soundtracks, they've released albums in parts. Um, so thinking back with, with part three, uh, they had one album that was probably dedicated to the first half of part three and then a second to, of course, the later half. I think the same thing with part four, but for Stone Ocean, they kind of withheld the official soundtrack until the very conclusion of this part. So very interesting choice there, but I would say it was well worth the wait, especially because Yugo Kano is a great anime music composer, and this is definitely one of his greatest JoJo soundtracks. So, Are there any titles that could potentially be spoilery? I wonder if that was a deciding factor in holding off on releasing the soundtrack. I think I've seen this before when we've talked about you know, when the soundtrack will officially become available. Um, but now that you've seen it, are there any titles on there that seem like they could spoil something? Um, Just skimming through it right now, there's a track called Something Is Wrong. I don't think oh. that's... <laughs> oh, there is, there is one that I just stumbled upon. I won't say it here for... Why, you can say it. Uh, that's true. We're, we're we full spoilers say, here. <laughs> yeah, full spoilers for JoJo. There's one called The End of the Universe. Oh, <laughs> So that's an, <laughs> that's an obvious... Obvious spoiler there. Um, some other ones like reveal certain plot points, uh, mostly in regards to Poochie's stands like Sea Moon or the Green Baby. Uh, but yeah, I think those are most. Oh, they do include the music that's used during the eye catches, which I know we had discussed on our favorite anime theme songs and soundtracks soundtracks and theme songs soundtracks and theme songs episode on strictly anime uh, which we encourage all of you to listen to if you have not done so already Uh, because you had asked like do they include the little eye catch tune on soundtracks but for this one they they definitely do so that's good i think all of them should because the the ones that i mentioned i won't spoil it but the ones that i mentioned on that episode um i think are fun to listen to and even though they're probably five seconds long i would definitely listen to them yeah this one has a song that's titled eye catching or the voice version so i think that's obviously when the chorus is singing the jojo stone ocean um during those specific eye catches through part six now on to this episode the sun uh, I know we always do initial takeaways, you know, first thoughts on the episode. And I, I just, I don't know what to say. Like in a, in a good way, I don't know what to say because this episode 
at its core is literally just the Crusaders staring at the sun. Like that's all it is. <laughs> They're just staring at the sun for a very long time. There's some stuff that happens in the beginning, um, a little bit at the end, but that's what this whole stand battle is. It's just looking at the sun, which most people don't recommend that you do. Well, I would say that this episode proves quite literally that the stand user could be anyone, including a guy who just sits on his ass all day. That <laughs> that could be a stand user, or they could be a stand user. Uh, but yeah, I think in certain aspects, this almost feels like what you would call a filler episode. I wouldn't say it's necessarily transitional, and I wouldn't say that it's a, like a setup episode for anything. Uh, but of, of course, it's a JoJo episode first and foremost. Uh, but even with its sort of filler elements, I still love the shit out of it for what it becomes at the very end, which is just an empty threat. And I think there's reason to this because when Araki wrote this part, uh, wrote the sun in the manga, he wanted to throw off readers into believing that this enemy stand user who has the power of the sun, the power of the sun in the palm of my hand <laughs> uh, would serve as like a weeks long battle, like a battle of attrition when that certainly wasn't the case in the end. Uh, so I, I just love how this episode kind of catches you off guard at the very end, even though you're led to believe that this is probably a force that the crusaders have to reckon with. Yeah, I also really enjoy it. As as silly as it is, that's what makes JoJo's Bizarre Adventure so special, so wonderful, so addicting, is that you have episodes like this where you're like, what the fuck is happening? But at the end of it, it still turns out to be really good and really enjoyable. I think with the enemy stand user form enemy stand user of the week formula, it is nice to have a break where you have an enemy stand user still but it's defeated in such an easy way. And it's just so ridiculous, you know, what the Crusaders have to do, you know, to go up against the sun, which is basically just hide from it for several hours and not succumb to, you know, heat poison. Heat poisoning? What is it called? Heat exhaustion. Heat exhaustion. Yeah, something like that. You can get poisoned <laughs> by heat. I don't know. Something, <laughs> something happens if you're hot for too long. Uh, so, yeah, it's nice to break away from that formula, from that, ex that, that expectation and have a a new fresh feel in this type of episode. And honestly, I think that Iraqi knows what he's doing because at the end of this, Joseph pretty much says what's on everyone's mind. It's very meta for him to say, that's it. The stand user was defeated that quickly. That's all mm -hmm. this was. <laughs> so yeah, I think that there's nothing wrong with the sun episode. I think there's nothing wrong with the way all this plays out. And I think it's very much what you need to expect from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure um, if you're going to be dedicated to the show and, and see it through, then you got to expect episodes like this. All right, JoJo fans, time to bust out your stunna shades as we crusade into our synopsis and discussion for part three, episode 18, The Sun. The boys continue their crusade with a new pit stop in the United Arab Emirates, where Josephu makes quite a lopsided Pokemon trade by exchanging a fancy jalopy for a lumpy dromedary. Call him... Joe Camel. Crossing the desert towards their private jet stationed in Yarpline, the Arabian night becomes an Arabian days as Joe Camel realizes that it's past their bedtime, 
but the sun still shines brighter than Kakyoin's future. The group slowly realizes that this is the work of their newest enemy stand user as they struggle to beat the heat before becoming grilled meat. Joe Camel finds himself to be the last bastion of insanity, thinking that his younger cohorts have succumbed to the stroke of heat, when in actuality they have encountered a stroke of luck as Jotaro slugs a fastball towards a boulder. But it's not just a boulder, it's a rock. A rock that erroneously reflects a shadow towards the sun, revealing the mastermind of the mirage as none other than some lazy boy in a lazy boy. Though with his sun stand eliminated, his future seems hazy, boy. And now on to our next segment of the show, is that a music and or tarot reference, where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and not-so-ordinary world of tarot cards. So first and foremost, we have the enemy stand, the sun, which is a reference to the sun, the 19th card in the tarot deck, and sometimes considered the best card in tarot, which is kind of ironic because it was so close to being the best stand in defeating the Crusaders. Uh, the sun is generally associated with positive affirmations in that it reflects happiness, contentment, vitality, self-confidence, and success. And I think with those last two attributes, they're particularly resonant with the sun stand user who I would say had a 99% success rate in finally being a match for the Crusaders had it not been for one very tiny flaw in his plan. The second reference we have in this episode is a music reference to the quote-unquote lazy enemy stand user, although he is not mentioned by name in the episode. I think later source material refers to him as Arabia Fats. This is a reference to Fats Domino, an American pianist, singer, and songwriter considered one of the pioneers of rock and roll music with his first single, The Fat Man, and having significant influence on other subsequent artists of the genre such as Elvis Presley and the Beatles. As I said, Arabia Fats was not given a proper name until several years after Part 3's publication, where it was revealed in the PlayStation port of Heritage for the Future, and eventually documented in the publication Jojo Agogo. But we do get, I guess, a, me- a reference to Arabia Fats in this episode to the eye catch, right? Because it, it names this the enemy stand user. That's true, but I think in the episode itself... They don't actually say his name because they don't even yeah. know who he is. And I think even the title card that appears at the end where it says that he's been eliminated, I don't think it even mentions him by name there yeah i think it just says the sun defeated or something like that yeah it's like you didn't want to dignify this guy with a name and now it's time for the jojo meme rundown where we list each new jojo meme that appeared in this episode and we have a kind of special one um i'm just gonna call it laughing jotaro because when jotaro laughs that's uh that is some that's very rare it, it's it's big news when when he smiles and here he's like actually busting out laughing um, we don't really get that much. I guess you could kind of consider Jotaro laughing when uh, Oingo molds himself to look like him. Yeah. But I wouldn't like Although, really yeah, count not, that. It's not the true Jotaro. But even the true Jotaro in this picture with his eyes open showing him laughing, 
that just seems so unnatural. It's like psychotic. Right. <laughs> but yeah, don't throw laughing. I mean, that's that's the meme because it's such a rare occasion. And this is probably the hardest, if not one of the hardest moments of him laughing. One of the hardest times he's laughing in all of Jojo's bizarre adventure. So that's it. That That's the meme. Um, of course, we'll, we'll share pictures and stuff in the Discord so that you can see that. But you could just watch the episode and see it as well. Nothing special here. Just a compilation picture of all of his uh, very psychotic laughing faces. So on our quest to figure out when they stop using Jojo, we may have found it. I don't know, because again, in this episode, the narrator and uh, nobody else says Jojo. I think the narrator says like Jotaro and friends. So we may be already at the point where the Jojo nickname has kind of gone to the wayside. Then into the episode, um, I guess before I really dive in, there's one comment I want to make, and that's about the animation. I feel like the animation for this episode is of a lower quality. You have some shots um, and like movement where things seem really stilted and faces don't look as clean. Uh, So I would say this is probably an episode where David Production dedicated less resources to you know making it look good um in order to put that those re- you know put more of the focus on key episodes because i wouldn't call this on a key episode so it kind of makes sense that if there is going to be an episode where you don't get as clean animation as normal it would be this one although i will say that this episode is heavier on effects um especially when it comes to like the colors and those sort of wavy effects that I think do well in conveying the sweltering heat of these scenes, especially the scenes where the Crusaders are facing off against the sun. Uh, I, you know, I, I starting to get sweaty just thinking about it, but really capturing that, that arid desert air the parched mouths, I would say, or parched bodies of the Crusaders. I think it emulates that well, even with the lower quality in animation. Yeah, I totally agree. It's by no means a bad looking episode, but when most of Stardust Crusaders looks really good, you can't help but kind of like notice when things take a little bit of a dip with the quality. But yeah, overall, still a really good episode. And it starts off with Joseph buying a car um, and Polnareff hitting on a female employee. Surprise, surprise. Um, I love this scene because when Joseph has like signed the papers, he's got the car all secured. He goes over to where Polnareff is, sees him hitting on this woman, and then crushes his hair under the folder of documents saying it's time to go. So then Polnareff responds saying like, hey, don't mess with my hair. It's hard to look this good. And we see... Polnareff put his hair together for the first time and he basically rubs his hair back into place as a rewind noise plays that makes me think of uh, Gold Experience's sound design. <laughs> Maybe it was like a, a hint to part five. Although I'm surprised that Polnareff doesn't need like pomade or any sort of hair product to put his flat top back in place right you would you would expect that it would be such an ordeal for him to refluff his tower of hair but nope he just apparently just rubs it a bunch of times and it just goes right back into place 
Then Joseph says that Polnareff has to drive um, again. And I'm kind of thinking, like, why would you have Polnareff drive again? But then I'm like, oh, wait, Jotaro and Kakyoin probably don't have their licenses. Because I think the legal driving age in Japan is 18. Mm, okay. So I'm guessing, like, I think there's, like, that whole thing where Jotaro started off as 17 in Stardust Crusaders. But then Araki kind of, like, retconned that um, later on and made him 18 by, like, changing the time frame of things but either way i would suspect that neither jotaro and or kakyoin have experience with driving because they haven't pursued their licenses yet so maybe that's why joseph has polnareff drive because joseph needs to read the map plus we still perceive them as high school students since they're in like their school uniforms um i'm just thinking why i know we talked about this like why joseph doesn't drive but i think in previous episode he was kind of on the run from like the like the Pakistani authorities. Yeah, that's the one with the boil on his arm. Um, right, maybe what the fuck is it? What the fuck is it called? What's that sand called? <laughs> Why am I blanking? Empress. Yes, Empress. You know how I'm, I'm so bad with names. Um, yes, that episode when he they they think he kills the doctor and then oh, he yeah, can't so be driving. The Indian authorities. Yes. Um, so I, yeah, I'm wondering why he didn't drive here but like you said he was there to, to check the map goof but check the map goof <laughs> but i guess you know pulling off just become the designated driver of the group things start to get suspicious though when Jotaro asks kakyoin what's wrong since he seems kind of concerned like kakyoin's got a concerned look on his face and he says that he can't help but feel like they're being watched and that's kind of when I think that's when the sun starts to make its appearance. Um, but then Joseph explains his plan to the Crusaders, saying that they're going to drive to another city and buy a, a Cessna. That's how you say it, right? A Cessna? Cessna? Cessna. Cessna. Yeah, like the private jet. Yeah. Um, but he says it so casually, like, oh, yeah, we'll just buy a plane and fly the rest of the way. Like, damn. Damn, Joseph is wealthy. Like, he just he acts like it's no big deal to buy a plane. He also says that he's been hesitant to go near planes because innocent people could get hurt again if an enemy stand user attacks them, um, but that he can fly a Cessna himself. And in that moment, <laughs> you see Jotaro's eyes in the War back flashbacks. of the car. Yeah, they get like shaded to black, kind of like how they did with uh, the Lovers um, episode, the, the last one that we did where, you know, he got so pissed that they got shaded, uh, you know, behind that that black shadow. And Jotaro in this episode says, yeah, flying in a plane with a guy who's gotten into three plane crashes sounds like a great idea to me. And all Joseph does is glare at him and like brush <laughs> it off because technically Jotaro is not wrong, right? Like Joseph has gotten some some really bad luck in, in planes. So I wanted to recall because I'm sure like Jotaro wasn't, he was probably present for one of these plane crashes, but... Um, I'm assuming the other ones are just stories he heard about Joseph because the ones that I remember are when Joseph was like a young hostage with Speedwagon on a plane. Yeah, when their plane got hijacked when he was like a teenager. So there, that's one. The second one is when he's battling cars in the climax for part two. Yeah, and he crashes into the volcano. And then, okay, this is where I need clarification. The third one... It, would it be Tower of Grey? Although that plane didn't crash, right? I, I think it's Tower of Grey because doesn't he get behind the pilot seat and like, I mean, it may not have literally crashed, but I think you'd consider that to be a pretty 
tense situation. Yeah. Okay. But I, I don't know. Maybe maybe we're missing one. I feel like that's it though. Right? I don't know. We're gonna no. look back on this episode and be like, uh. <laughs> yeah, I can't recall any other instances of like a plane crash in part two. Yeah, nothing in Mexico. Yeah. But, you know, if, if there's a listener out there who can clarify or thinks that we have <laughs> these plane crashes incorrect, uh, just let us know. And maybe we'll bring that up as an episode goof on next week's or the next episode. As Joseph's expanding on his plan, he says that they also need to ride camels. Um, and then that's when he offers to trade his expensive car that he just bought for the camels. And Polnareff is sitting there like, yo, what the fuck? Uh, but Joseph says you can you can't use cash or check out here in this area, so trading is most effective. But I'm like, damn, Joseph is just flexing his wealth left and right. Uh, but at the same time, to be fair, he says he doesn't want to buy safety for cheap because they're on such an important mission. Like, of course, he cares about the Crusaders. He kind of, I'm guessing, feels responsible for them as the oldest member and as like one of the only true adults. I mean, you can call Abdul an adult, but like Polnareff. Well, he might be an adult by age. I don't know if you'd really consider him very responsible. So I'm no. guessing Joseph is sitting here thinking, like, I need to be the one to make sure that everyone is safe. And this whole camel sequence is, like, so nonsensical. Probably one of the most nonsensical parts of the entire episode. But dumb in, like, a funny JoJo way. Because you have Polnareff, who's suspicious that Joseph has never ridden on a camel before. Um, only to find out that, yes, that is the case. He hasn't, and he's only seen a movie that has camels in it. And then Joseph tries to get the camel to sit so that he can get on it. But then the camel, of course, spits in his face before he is finally able to, you know, successfully get the camel to sit down using an apple. And then when he's on top of the camel, he randomly says, before I forget, you're all forbidden to make dumb camel jokes. Like, what? I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Maybe he's sick of camel jokes. I don't I don't know. I don't know what to think of this whole scene. It was just so ridiculous. I don't know if you meant like trying to make a camel toe joke. <laughs> yeah, I kind of thought the same thing. <laughs> trying to find a way to fit that into a synopsis. It didn't work out. So there, Joseph, I, I saved you a camel joke. Uh, but yeah, just everything about this scene with... I think Joseph wants to still be perceived as useful to the group just outside of him being their wealthy benefactor because I think maybe just he has this idea of his old age, like that being the perception of him. Um, so I want to say that's why he's demonstrating like how he knows how to ride these camels even though he later claims that he only learned this through uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Uh yeah, just some of my favorite things with this scene is I think right at the beginning of it when Polnareff just sprays the camels in the face. Yeah, and he says they of, smell. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, I don't think that's the right way to deal with their smell. And then my second favorite thing is we don't see Joseph attempting to tame the camel that he's riding. It's just seeing a shot of Jotaro, Kakyoin, and Polnareff watching Joseph do it, and you just see their eyes darting back and forth. It just feels like such a classic comedy scene, uh, which I found to be more entertaining than the bartering that kind of took place in the Justice arc, where we also saw Joseph showing off his skills. Uh, I just thought 
uh, this just felt like so classic slapstick. I kind of felt the same way, but then I kind of thought maybe David Production chose to not animate Joseph struggling and just animate um, the Crusaders looking back and forth because from a budget perspective or a resource perspective, it was easier. Because again, the episode Mm. has generally lower quality animation than most other episodes of part three. So maybe that was a strategic choice. But I don't know. I've never read the manga, so I don't know if that's how it plays out in the manga. But you're right. Like, it still landed. It still played right into how goofy and comical the whole situation was. And I do like that Polnareff was so suspicious of of Joseph saying, are you sure you've ridden a camel before? Because I'm sure Joseph went into it thinking, oh, no one will doubt me because I'm the most well-traveled of all of them. I'm the most experienced as the oldest. So if I just explain all this shit, I'm sure they'll believe me. Because that's the way that Joseph does things. So when they finally set off um, and they're on the camels using branches to cover their tracks and whatnot, uh, I know we talked about in the Lover's Arc how it had a pink sky. And it's hard not to notice that here in the Sun episode, the sky is like a dark brown gray color. I think that's supposed to show like something off with like the way that the sun is working in this episode because it's technically supposed to go into the evening, but the sun is still out and shining. Right, and I think that it was a smart choice to make the color palette that way because it shows, it it makes the whole situation feel gross. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it just feels heavy. It feels like dark. I don't know, just like this this like gloominess to it. Because if you think about it, if the sun were out and there were no clouds in the sky, it would be this beautiful, bright blue sky. Um, and the, the whole surrounding area would be lit up and look at least somewhat pleasant. So to choose a more dark brown gray palette was really important to emphasize that this situation is not a pleasant one that they're in. I do want to double back with the palm leaves. How do those cover their tracks if they're still leaving tracks. Right. You, they leave like straight lines yeah. wherever the, the <laughs> leaves are kind of hitting. Unless the camels are swaying enough. But then like wouldn't they That's leave still, like a zigzag? Yeah. <laughs> I would say that makes a clearer indication of where you're going. Yeah. I don't know. Jojo logic, I guess. <laughs> Kakyoin still feels uncomfortable. Still says someone is like watching them. And then... Jotaro says that he does too. He, he also senses some sort of presence. So while looking through binoculars, um, he uses Star Platinum's special eyes to zoom in even further. I thought that was interesting because is it saying that Jotaro can see what Star Platinum sees? Hmm. And if not, then it almost feels like Star Platinum could kind of be sentient. Because then Star Platinum would be the one noticing something suspicious out in the distance that Jotaro can't see, and Star Platinum would have to alert him to it. So I'm thinking it's probably more of the former, where like Jotaro can kind of see what Star Platinum is seeing. You know what I mean? Like it just would feel He's like Star Platinum. Star Platinum contact lenses. Yeah, <laughs> it just kind of feels like if Star Platinum had to inform Jotaro about what he sees, it would make it seem like too much of an independent stand. Yeah, I didn't even think about that unless 
it is Star Platinum looking through the binoculars. Because there have been other times where like Jotaro will jump to some ledge or whatever, and Star Platinum will use his armor, his his own like it, it. Star Platinum will use its own like body, I guess you could say, to help Jotaro land or catch or whatever. Um, but I feel like that's not him being sentient. It's like Jotaro specifically using Star Platinum in that way to his benefit. So I'm gonna guess that Jotaro can see what Star Platinum sees. And then it finally dawns on the Crusaders that something truly is wrong because they realize it's past 8 p.m., but the sun still isn't setting. And I think it's Polnareff who is keeping track of the temperature. So he says it goes from 50 degrees Celsius to 60 degrees Celsius, which for us uh, Fahrenheit people who are curious to know what that means in our language, that's 122 Fahrenheit to 140 Fahrenheit, which is insane. I don't think we've ever experienced 140 degree weather. I know in Vegas we reached, they reached like 115, 120. One of the times we went there, but that was already unbearable. Yeah, that was brutal. I would <laughs> never survive in 122 to 140 Fahrenheit. And then we come to the eye catch, which of course deals with the stand stats for the sun. So we have destructive power at B. Speed at E, range at A, durability at A, precision and accuracy at E, and development potential at E. So having like three ratings with an E, but then having three other ratings that are almost top tier, it kind of puts the sun in the middle of like being a powerful stand versus a weak stand. Uh, although I'll, I will say that the real sun moves at a rate of about 174 miles per second. So, of course, this replica just pales in comparison. As for the stand design, it's the sun. It's it's just the sun. It's just the sun. <laughs> <laughs> just a much bigger, more intense looking sun. I just had a thought. Does that mean that Arabia Fats can only really use his stand during the day? I'm sorry, during the night? Because otherwise, people are going to see two suns if it's during the day. Hmm. I don't, I don't, I didn't think about that. I, I think it would have been, yeah, it would have made been more obvious if he had used the sun during the day because then the Crusaders would realize, oh, there's, there's two suns out here. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So, yeah, maybe it's a stand best used discreetly at night. So after the eye catch, that's when they realize that the sun is the actual enemy stand and Polnareff is still tracking the temperature, which rises to 70 degrees Celsius, which is 158 degrees Fahrenheit. Holy shit. So then they try to locate the enemy stand user so they can stop the sun. But then Polnareff asks, what if it's like Lovers from the last arc where it has insane range? And Joseph responds saying that's impossible because the sun is too strong and is emitting incredible energy. So then the range on the stand has to be shorter, which I think it makes sense, right? Because you think about like Star Platinum um, or Gold Experience, like they all have insane power, but their range is only five meters. Mm-hmm. So, and I would say the sun is pretty close to them at this point. Yeah, and I, I'm guessing it's probably hovering right above the enemy stand user who's hiding behind the mirror. Yeah. 
So now that the Crusaders know that the sun is the enemy stand, um, they're doing all that they can to figure out what the fuck to do now. And so Kakyoin tries to gauge the sun's distance by sending out Hierophant Green, but then he's attacked by lava from the sun or whatever the fuck's coming out of the sun. Um, and then Jotaro uses Star Platinum once again to punch a hole in the ground, kind of like he did in the car episode. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, uh, Kakyoin is attacked by the sun's, what, like lava or whatever? Yeah, like magma or whatever it's the fuck's like coming the, out of the it. The UV. Yeah, <laughs> UV rays. The UV rays. Uh, one thing I wanted to see is if in any of the background shots, if there was any indication of the sun's or the sun's stand users reverse shadow uh but i think like it was like the scenes that show the backgrounds were just kind of really quick so it was really hard to see if if they were in, like they included arabia fats's location as a small easter egg that would have been cool if they did if, if they didn't do it it would have been cool if they did do it um but yeah they those scenes happen really fast and they kind of pan the landscape really quickly so it would be tough to to catch something like that we do get a bunch of great lines from joseph um yeah. we get a, a great oh shit when all the oh, water is shit. gone <laughs> and a great son of the bitch when the sun <laughs> breaks his binoculars i love that one because he doesn't even say it correctly <laughs> son of the bitch <laughs> and after some time has passed um then we get a bunch of these psychedelic shots which i know you talked about earlier um you know really weird moments weird coloring and then that's when it happens kakyoin starts giggling in a very psychotic way. Um, I can't even imagine being the voice acting group in the studio listening to Kakyoin's voice actor pull <laughs> that giggling out of his ass. It would be fun to see like a a recording of that session. Like a yeah. video of how <laughs> this this giggle turns into the insane laugh and just followed up by the other two voice actors. And then we have Jotaro starting to laugh. And this, I think, means that Kakyoin first realizes the enemy stand user's location, followed by Jotaro. And I think this is because they constantly think alike. Um, so I'm not surprised that it's Jotaro who catches on right after Kakyoin. <laughs> I was thinking Polnareff just laughing because the other two are laughing. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, right? But yeah, I think Polnareff finally realizes what's going on. So then he joins in on the laughing. And of course, Joseph is concerned. He, he thinks that they've gone mad. And doesn't see what they see. And then you have Jotaro, who I think um, has Star Platinum, basically aura a rock into the mirror that the enemy stand user is hiding behind. But then you have <laughs> you have Joseph who's freaking out because he thinks that Star Platinum put a hole in the sky. So Jotaro responds, saying that the heat must have gotten to you, old man. Otherwise, I'd have a hard time believing you're my grandfather. And I'm like, damn. I know Jotaro hates on Joseph sometimes, but uh, yeah, I think he was Low pretty annoyed. Blow. Yeah, he was annoyed with Joseph <laughs> in that moment. Can we acknowledge that I remembered at this very moment that Jotaro's school coat is made out of wool? Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> and so he's stepping out. In what was it, 158 degree weather? Yeah. <laughs> to to launch this rock, like how is he not boiling at this point? Yeah, I I don't know. I he must have sweat straight through that thing. That's got to be extremely uncomfortable. 
It's important to note, though, that throughout this whole episode, um, especially in the beginning, you have those moments that they've shown us where Joseph feels like he's responsible for the younger crusaders. Um, even when the heat becomes too much from the sun, Joseph says he's the old timer of the group and has got to think of a way to overcome this dire situation. But then it's funny enough that the younger guys are the ones that realize what's actually going on. So I kind of like how that plays out. I think it's maybe a reminder to Joseph that, yes, he is, I guess, one of the more responsible individuals. I mean, really, he's not, though, because it's Joseph Joestar. But he probably feels like he's, you know, responsible for these guys. But at the same time, he shouldn't forget that they're all capable individuals who offer something really important to the group. Yeah, that's true. I think Joseph is trying to still be the main character of, of the group. But I think this is kind of proving that it, it needs to be a, a group effort when it comes to taking down um, the enemy stands and enemy stand users that are coming their way. So I think a good lesson in in teaching us that sometimes the younger generation are smarter than they look. <laughs> <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, we round out this enemy stand user after Jotaro launches that rock um, with Joseph being very meta and saying, wait, so that's it. We've already defeated him. And again, I'm honestly okay with that. I'm, I'm okay with the fact that this was such a quick one and done defeat um, because it's nice to have that change of pace. And it's just some fucking guy in a chair. Like, how did Dio find this this guy? <laughs> I know it's interesting because this enemy stand user like, is someone we learn nothing about and has no lines other than making one single grunt when Star Platinum threw the rock. I, I'm trying to think of what other characters are like that. I know there are enemy stand users that um, the Crusaders don't even realize exist. I think Oingo Boingo is that is one of those. But I don't know if there's any other that has such little presence in the way that Arabia Fats does. I, I think it's just brilliant. Again, it just proves that the stand user could be anyone. Uh, but yeah, it's just... I'm still wondering how Dio thought this guy would be great to like use as one of his disciples. And as if this episode wasn't weird enough, it ends with Polnareff sneezing and then the narrator saying chan chan, or I guess the way they translated it um, for us localized uh, as brumts at the very end after the to be continued pops out like it was so weird like already the episode was wild um in and of itself but then they had to go and add that cherry on top yeah they knew this episode was a fucking joke <laughs> <laughs> again that's fine i think it's so jojo of them to, to do that really really emphasizes the bizarre adventure of of it all and that brings us to our final thoughts for part three episode 18 the sun so, did this episode shine brightly in your eyes? Um, I guess so. It was just I don't I, I don't know what to say about it. Like it, it was just fun, it was just dumb, it was just enjoyable on its own level. Um, we don't get many episodes like this in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure despite it being a very bizarre adventure. So it is kind of nice to just break away from the drama, break away from the chaos. And while there's still, of course, drama and chaos in this episode, it's a different feel to it. It's nice to just have something different because it, 
there are times that part three feels very long because when you have that enemy stand user of the week formula, it can sort of drag things out. So when it when you get to that repetitive point where you're like, okay, same formula every fucking week, um, you have this and you're like, okay, it's it's a little bit of a breather. So other than that, like it's it's just silly. Um, it's interesting seeing Joseph kind of put in this light again where he feels like he's got this weight on his shoulders. But I think the end of it, despite Jotaro's really harsh words, was nice um, for Joseph to kind of see like he can rely on the Crusaders as much as they need to rely on him. But what about you? I'll take a line from Jotaro in describing how I feel about this episode. Once you figure it out, it's pretty stupid. But (laughs) again, that's why I love it so much. This is one of the most high-stake episodes in Part 3 that ends in such an unexpected but comedically satisfying fashion. And it's a relatively lighthearted romp compared to the grisly dealings of the past two dual episode arcs. I think everyone had their moment to shine in this episode, from Joseph and his obsession with camels, to Jotaro and his pitching prowess, to Kakyoin and his forward thinking, to even Polnareff and his flat top, which just makes this a unique team-oriented episode like Wheel of Fortune, but one that feels more off the cuff. I also think that it's just brilliant that this episode builds up the enemy stand and its enemy user as an astronomical force to be reckoned with when in reality it is anything but, and even the Crusaders crack up at the absurdity of it all. And I'm also glad that they didn't make this a two-parter, otherwise it would just be us watching the Crusaders, like, suffer from heat stroke and heat exhaustion. But I believe it goes without saying that The Sun is one of the absolute gems of the series that truly embodies the bizarre aspect of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, as I had said before. Well, our short break from two-parters is over because for the next several weeks, we're going to be going through two-part arcs, um, with the next one being Lalihoo. Yeah, when I listened to the preview of the next episode at the end of this episode, I kind of got triggered because it's just the sound of a a baby crying. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) the timing is going to be interesting. But uh, Death 13 does come with one of the most... um, I guess one of the grossest endings, but also one that I I appreciate oh, because I enjoy toilet yeah. humor. <laughs> so there you have it. That's the sun. I guess that's it. We're moving Shut on. Shut up about the sun. <laughs> Shut up about the sun. <laughs> Thank you guys as always for tuning in and uh, let us know if you enjoyed the craziness of the sun episode as much as we did. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at the Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, like our newest patron, Coffee Cats Pugs, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series. And tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued. And tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast for anime reviews and discussions. Strictly Jojo? Strictly anime. (laughs) 
guys. <laughs> guys, strictly anime. <laughs> That's the other one for for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the descriptions. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs>